This is the first of three talks, and I guess these faith, hope, and love are taken from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians in chapter 13, which is an interesting chapter to, to read. And tonight, then, we're going to consider this topic of um, does faith in the Bible make sense? Now, um, I've got this book here, which uh, I'll just show you. It doesn't look particularly old, does it? But it is actually 261 years old. That's a really uh, old book. It's just been rebound, so it doesn't look particularly um, old. But when you look inside, you'll see that it was written in 1758. This book was written by Thomas Newton, who was a, a doctor of divinity and a chaplain to um, King George II. Uh, 1758, just to put it in some kind of context, was the year that Horatio Nelson was born. So he lived until 1805 and died at the Battle of Trafalgar. So it's an awful long time ago, and this is just one of three volumes. And there's a reason for, for looking at this. That's the man, Thomas Newton, and his book all about prophecy. And he calls it the dissertation on the prophecies. And just about every Bible prophecy that there is, you can see some kind of comment on it in, in his book. Now, I'm interested in how he ended his book, his third volume, because there's something in there that I think is useful for us. 261 years later. And this is what he said. So he, say, he said, this is his final volume, and he said, men are sometimes apt to think that if they could see a miracle wrought in favor of religion, they would readily resign all their scruples, believe without doubt, and obey without reserve. So what he's really saying there is if we could actually sit back and see some miracle happen before our very eyes, then we'd forget everything else and say, right, that's the way we're going to go. That's how we're going to order our lives from now on. But what he's saying in this book is that that miracle really does exist and it's accessible to all. The very thing you desire you have, you have the greatest and most striking of miracles in the series of scripture prophecies accomplished. And this is not a transient miracle ceasing almost as soon as it is performed, but permanent and protracted through the course of many generations. It's not a miracle exhibited before a certain number of witnesses, but is open to the observance and contemplation of all mankind and after so many ages, is still growing, still improving to future ages. So he's referring to the prophecies in the Bible. And he sums it up, really, as the miracle of Bible prophecy. Because what is written can be tested. And so he goes on to say, what stronger miracle, therefore, can you require for your conviction? What can be plainer? You see or may see with your own eyes the scripture prophecies accomplished. And if scripture prophecies are accomplished, the scripture must be the word of God. And if scripture is the word of God, the Christian religion must be true. So his point there is that we have these prophecies. We can put them to the test. They're there. They haven't happened and gone away and we can't find them again. They're not fleeting. They're there. And the words of the Bible are there for us to consider 
and to see how they have been fulfilled over the centuries. And God has spoken beforehand of the things which would come to pass. And if I can just highlight this, because this is something we need to, to establish. The scripture prophecies accomplished, and if scripture prophecies are accomplished, the scripture must be the word of God. <clears throat> now that's what the Bible claims for itself. And I would like us to just spend a couple of minutes looking at two, which I think are key references, where the Bible claims that it is the word of God. It's not like any other book has been written by man. This is a book that has been written by Almighty God, who has the ability to look into the future and to know what is going to happen. And those things that are in the future, he has chosen some of those things in his word to reveal them unto men and women, if they would but take the time to read what is, what is written. So here are a couple of Bible references very well-known Bible references to, to Christadelphians because we believe in the infallibility of God's Word. And we believe it because we can test it in many ways, but we look at things like this, verses like this, and we put our trust in them. So Paul is writing to his son in the faith, called Timothy, and this is what he says. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what we're talking about tonight, isn't it? The faith in the Bible, does it make sense? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So the purpose of the writings that are being referred to there, that Paul said that Timothy knew from a child, are there by design to make us complete, to make us wise unto salvation, to save us from death. That's, that's really the message of the Scriptures, to give men and women a hope that they might escape mortality and look forward to the reward that God has promised in His Word. Now, there is another passage which is uh, useful in this connection because we're dealing specifically tonight with this miracle of prophecy. This is a, a key reason amongst the number of reasons that we could advance for why it makes sense to have faith or belief in the Bible as the Word of God. And so when Peter wrote his second letter, he said this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What he means there is the prophecies that you read in the Word of God haven't been, although man has written them, man is not the author of them. God is the author of them. They haven't come from man. And that's what the next verse goes on to say. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Man couldn't do what God is able to do, and that is predict the future with the accuracy that the Bible prophecies um, have. And, and, and so this point is really brought home to us in this letter, that it hasn't arrived, it hasn't originated from man, it's come from Almighty God. And therefore, God knows the end from the beginning, as he tells us elsewhere in his word, 
we can put these things to the test. We can test all these things out. So what we're going to do is examine some prophecies tonight. They're going to be prophecies that are linked with the nation of Israel. Because most of the scripture prophecies concern the nation of Israel. Not exclusively, because there are prophecies which foretell of the destruction of ancient kingdoms, like Babylon, for example, which was a mighty kingdom at one time, but is now non-existent. And that's what the scripture prophecies talk to us about. Talk about the, they talk about the uh, nation of Egypt, which was once a very mighty and powerful uh, kingdom under the pharaohs, that it would not be overthrown to be destroyed completely like Babylon, but its outcome would be different. It would be ruled over by others, and it would be a base nation, effectively a third world country, uh, as we see it today. No longer a mighty power as it was in Bible times. And there are other prophecies that we could turn to, but we've chosen to spend some time on the nation of Israel. Now, what we're going to do in doing that is we're going to have a look at a couple of references, um, two short readings, and Paul's going to do the first one in a minute. And um, when he's done that, we'll, we'll have a look at the, what it's got to say. We'll try and trace through history certain events, and um, that'll lead us to the next prophecy. So there are two prophecies we'll look at. The first one, then, is in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and perhaps Paul would read that for us now. Deuteronomy chapter 28, from verse 62, through to the end. And ye shall be left few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldest not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And you shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from one end of the earth even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations... Thou shalt find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot rest. But the Lord will give thee there a trembling heart, and failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have non-assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even! And at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning, for the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships, by the way whereof I spake unto thee, thou shalt see it no more again. And there ye shall be sold unto your enemies, for bondmen and bondwomen and no man shall buy you.
Thank you. Now, we want to just give that a little bit of context, and so we need to give um, a date to it, to it, and we're looking at around about the year uh, BC 1452, there or thereabouts, and the context is that 40 years earlier, God's people, the nation of Israel, had been brought out from slavery in Egypt and had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. It wasn't God's intention originally to make them wander in a wilderness for 40 years, but the earlier generation had not been faithful. They hadn't believed God in what he'd said. And of course, this is all about believing what God has written, isn't it, this evening, to think about it. And as a result of that, because they refused to believe when he actually did wonderful miracles before their eyes, he allowed them to die in the wilderness. And so after this 40-year period of wandering, all the people died in the wilderness on that generation that God considered to be, to be guilty. Now there was a new generation, and now they were about to go into a land that God had promised them, and that land was the land of Canaan. But before they went into the land, there were lots of instructions given to them. Lots of warnings, lots of laws, lots of statutes that they might obey God because he wanted to save them. He wanted to give them a, a reward. And Deuteronomy 28 is a chapter, if we'd had time to, to look at it all, it's a, as you can see, we've just read the latter part of it and we've read a few verses at the end. But it's a, it's a chapter that, that contains two major parts but they're unequal parts. The first part, of consisting of 13 verses, actually, is about blessings. Blessings that God would bring upon his people if they were obedient. And then there's 53 verses of curses, if they would be disobedient. That's kind of weighted very heavily in one direction, isn't it? And that's because God knew what was going to happen. He is the one who knows the end from the beginning. And that's exactly how it turned out, that the curses were far more relevant to be applied to the nation than the blessings. Because by and large, the nation was unfaithful, did not believe God, did not really think that what he'd said made sense. And what we're trying to do this evening is to check that it does make sense. And so when we read those, those verses, we can see that the fate of Israel um, because of their disobedience or the prophecy concerning Israel because of their disobedience was set out there that they would wander if we can just look again at verse 65 among the nations of the earth that thou shalt find no ease neither shall the soul of thy foot have rest and the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind now, just before we look at the history of Israel in relation to those things that were set out there, I want us to look at one verse, an earlier verse in the chapter. It's also in the curses section. It's in verse 36. And what we read there is that the Lord shall bring thee and thy king, which thou shalt set over thee. Now, at the time that this was given, they didn't have a king. But circumstances later meant that they would have a king, and they did have a king. And this prophecy then relates to that period of time. And it goes on to say, which uh, 
a king which thou shalt set over thee, and to a nation which, thy, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known. And there thou shalt serve other gods, wood and stone. And so that came to pass. The nation divided up into two, and the kingdom in the north of the country went into captivity in the year B.C. Uh, 722 into Assyria, and then the southern kingdom, where the capital was remained at Jerusalem, went into captivity from the years of B.C. 605 to B.C. 587. So I think this is a direct reference here in verse 36 to that particular time. What we read in the end of the chapter is a reference to another particular time, and that was when some of the people who had been taken away into captivity came back. And they came back in the time of the Persians, and there were still some there in the time of the Greeks and the time of the Romans. And what this latter part of the chapter seems to be talking about is the actual dispersion of the peoples of the land for a long time. It does talk earlier on about the plagues that God would bring upon them being of long continuance. They would last for a very long time. And so we think, well, when did that happen? And in history, history records that in AD 70, the Romans uh, besieged Jerusalem, destroyed the city, and destroyed the temple. Now, what is interesting is that, that the same day of the year, the Jewish calendar, the first temple was destroyed in the year BC 587. And the second temple, the one that the Romans destroyed, was also destroyed on the very same day in the Jewish calendar. It's the ninth day of the fifth month. And that's a day of mourning for Jews today, because that's not the end of it. There were lots of other things that happened on that day in history. And so let's just think about that now, just for a minute or two. Um, the first thing is, if we just look at um, this one here, the destruction of the first temple that I've referred to already, 587 BC, and then the second temple, 70 AD, it does look as if there were two other catastrophes that happened in Israel's history. It's difficult to pinpoint them with precision from the, the dates we have in the Bible, but it's likely to be very close, if not on those very days. Two catastrophes that happened. The second of those was the reason why that first generation who did not believe perished in the wilderness. But it goes on because after the second destruction of the second temple, on the very same day in the Jewish calendar, Jerusalem was plowed as a, as a field in the year AD 133. Also, when you look through the history books, you'll find that the Jews who are suffering persecution among the nations where, as we've just read, God said they would find no ease, they were expelled from England, from France, and from Spain. And in each time, it was the same day of the year. It's, it's God trying to tell them something, do you think? And it may be that the message is going forth by these, uh, this repeat of all these catastrophes, on the, on the same day, a repeat of catastrophes on the same day in the Jewish calendar, that God is telling them, look, you, you don't accept my son. And therefore, until you do, there will be a continual 
line of catastrophes and problems that you will face. And so approval was received in 1941 on that day for the final solution and the persecution of the Jews in the Second World War. So we're going to just think very quickly now about this persecution, just to see that uh, this has been this is a well-documented fact. We've read in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that these things would happen to them because of their attitude, because of their unbelief. And so we've got a, an example here. This is in York. This is Clifford's Tower. And a number of Jews um, were uh, besieged there by an angry mob, and they committed suicide rather than be uh, rather than suffer from the hands of the Christians. And in Spain, in the, um, the time of the reign of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, uh, the Jews were expelled from, from uh, Spain. They had four months, you see when the decree went out, but they had four months, which takes you up to the time of Tisha B'Av. That's the day, the ninth day of the, of the fifth month. Uh, and they were expelled from Spain. They had to leave by that date. Bringing it closer now to, to our day, there were the persecutions of the Jews in, in Russia uh, under the Tsars, the pogroms that occurred in the, in the time in the early 1900s and the late 1800s. So there's been lots of times when persecution of the Jews has taken place, and it's a fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 28. And it's very remarkable, isn't it, that God has, has said that these things would happen to them. Now, if you've got a Bible, you might just like to have a look at uh, one reference in the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus is about 38 years before the book of Deuteronomy. And in chapter 26, there's just one verse there that I'd like to refer to, because this chapter is very much like the one in Deuteronomy chapter 28, but there is just a, a, an interesting point that's being made in verse 44. It's talking about their, their, their punishment that God would bring upon them for disobedience, but God does say this in verse 44, And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies... I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them, to destroy them utterly, and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. So God is saying that although I'm going to bring these calamities on the people because of their disobedience, yet I'm not going to wipe them out completely. I'm not going to destroy them utterly, because God has a purpose with this nation, as we shall see as we progress in our um, consideration of the history of this people. Now, the persecutions of the Jews are well known throughout history. We've just looked at a, a, a tiny bit of this. And it gave rise to the fact that there was a need, some saw the need, some Jews saw the need of trying to escape to somewhere safe, that they would be free from persecution. And so Zionism was born in the 1890s, under Theodore Herzl. And that gave rise to a movement to try to get the Jews back to the land. During the First World War, there were difficulties all around, and one particular Jew named Weizmann helped the war effort of the Allied forces, and the, home, uh, the foreign secretary wrote 
to um, the leader of the Zionists at that time, seemed to be Lord Rothschild, this famous um, declaration called the Balfour Declaration, which gave a promise for the British government to establish a national homeland for the Jews, somewhere where they could be safe. And at the time, it's very interesting because not all the Jews thought this was a good idea, but some did. So they were split about 50-50. But that's a famous declaration, over 100 years old now, that was the, the beginnings, really, of the establishment of the, the state of Israel. Now, what happened in the interim was, of course, not very much, because although the declaration was made, it didn't sit well with the people who were living there at the time, with the Arabs. And so there were Arab riots in the 1930s, and that gave rise to the white paper issued by the British government in 1939, which limited the immigration of Jews to the land, put a stop on, on some of that. And yet, at the very same time, the Jews were being persecuted mercilessly by the Nazis in the 19, late 1930s. And so this is the kind of thing that was happening to them. And these are not very nice pictures, as the other ones have not been, have they? Of the persecutions that were brought upon the Jews. And in that period of time, six million Jews perished in the, in the gas chambers. So it's interesting that God is moving things around now. We'll see what, what's, what's going to happen. Remember, he said, I'm not going to destroy them utterly. But they went through an awful lot, an awful lot of suffering on account of their continual refusal to accept that God had provided and sent his son as a saviour, as their messiah. But this was such a bad event, such a terrible thing, that when the United Nations was formed after the Second World War, it gave rise to the General Assembly of the United Nations uh, voting to establish um, a state of, of Israel, to give them a state, a Jewish state, as it was referred to in the Declaration. And those two massive wars, the First World War and the Second World War, were important events in the purpose of God in, in trying to um, bring about a position whereby the Jews, who had been scattered for centuries, could go back to their land. And we're going to see this is also part of Bible prophecy. So in 1948, the state of Israel was born. Now let's kind of bring it up to date even more. We've gone through so many things quickly. We want to try to bring it up to date now and ask ourselves, where are we in the divine timescale as regards Bible prophecy? Because what we have said is Bible prophecy is so important. If you take the line of Thomas Newton, and, and I would take that line, it's a miracle, isn't it? It's a miracle before our very eyes. We can see things written so long ago coming to pass now in our own days. And, and it just shows that this book, having faith in this book, believing in what is written, really does make sense because God can tell us what is happening, going to happen in the future. So where are we then in the divine time scale. Well, there is an interesting prophecy, which I'm not going to ask you to turn to because it's on the screen, but it helps us to focus on a certain 
number of things. And it helps us to move forward now to what might happen in the future, in the near future, we believe. So this is a prophecy of Joel written about 700, 800 years BC. And this is what he says in Joel chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, in those days and at that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, there are two key things there. Judah was the name of the southern kingdom. Jerusalem is, of course, the, the capital, was the capital of the, the kingdom. And what Joel 3 is saying, that through prophecy, God is revealing to his servant Joel that God is to bring again the captivity. What that means is take the people back, free the, the, the land and the city from those people who were currently or would currently be there and give that to the Jews. And I would suggest to you that this is a likely fulfillment of these events. When I shall bring again the captivity of Judah. In other words, give the Jews a state. And that happened in 1948. And give them Jerusalem. And that happened in 1967. So that's not that long ago. But we're now in 2019. So I wonder if the next verse will tell us what's going to happen in the future in this prophecy. And it seems to do that. This is what it says. So when these things have happened, when they've been accomplished, God writing these things so many years ago through his prophet Joel, when people are back in the land, when Jerusalem is back in the control of the Jews, when that's happened, at some time after that, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So what that is saying is this, that God is to bring about a situation whereby nations are going to be gathered together for the purpose of God entering into a judgment with them that he might execute his purpose with the earth. Because as these talks will show, God does have a purpose with the earth. It's a very exciting and a wonderful purpose. And these talks will bring this particular um, point out. <clears throat> 